0: There was a point during the Champions League final when I tweeted, it's not as good as the Olympics, is it? Now, Liverpool fans may disagree as they're listening to Anything But Footy this week as they wax lyrical about the joy of six. Careful what you say there, Michael. But I do think this week's lacklustre Europa League and Champions League finals have again, if needed, highlighted why we do this podcast. This is Anything But Footy and I'm Michael.
1: I'm John. We're going to be talking lots about water, sailing, rowing, canoeing, triathlon. Yes, there's water in that too. Although two-time Olympic champion Ali Brownlee did his usual break in the running to win in Europe this week.
0: And um, we will start with water, deep water, cold water for the Russians in a moment. Don't forget, you can get in touch with us via email, anythingbutfooty at gmail.com. You can tweet us, anything but F. You can get in touch with us on Facebook, on Instagram and on YouTube. And we do love to read and hear your comments. And as I said, we'll start with Deepwater and the Russians, the Russian athletes in particular could be facing another Olympic ban. I don't know whether you've seen the Sunday Times Insight investigation this week, but they have made some allegations that Russia's top athletics officials have overseen the forgery of documents to cover up a doping offence by high jumper Daniel Lysenko. Now, he was the world indoor high jump champion in 2018. You may recall in London at the London Stadium, formerly known as the Olympic Stadium, of course. He won a silver medal at the World Championships in 2017. He was hotly tipped to win a gold medal at Tokyo 2020. I think it's very unlikely we'll see him now because the Russian Athletics Federation are alleged to have conspired to help him avoid a ban for failing to inform drugs testers about his whereabouts last year. This, of course, is not just a huge blow to the sport of athletics. It's a huge blow to... Olympic sport in general, but it's a blow to Vladimir Putin as well. He's been desperate for Russian athletes to return to the fold. You'll remember, of course, Russia have competed under the Olympic flag, certainly at the last Winter Olympics. Athletes who were outside the system, if you like, neutral athletes, were allowed to compete. They weren't allowed to hear the Russian national anthem. They weren't allowed to compete in Russian sports gear, but they were allowed to compete. And now it looks like the IOC and the pressure, I would suggest, John, is really on them to maybe install a blanket ban over the Russian athletes. We recall in Rio Mm -hmm. in 2016, of course, uh, Russian athletes didn't go, but there were Russians in other sports as the IOC put the decision onto the individual sporting federations. The IAAF held firm. Remember, the IPC banned Russia entirely from the Paralympics. I wonder whether these latest revelations, allegations, will really put the pressure on the International Olympic Committee this time around.
1: I think it's interesting, Michael, because there were reports around yesterday and it did kind of raise my eyebrow when I first saw it, that Russian media were reporting that the Russian Athletics Federation would be reinstated at the next IAAF meeting and that's up for debate in Monaco at the next meeting. And then I actually realised why, because as you rightly say, some brilliant reporting from the Sunday Times Insight team, well done to Jonathan Calvert and George Arbuthnot, who've put this uh, this article together and, and really got the question marks over the. russian athletics federation once again basically it's RUSAF, the russian athletics federation uh, overseeing the fabrication of medical documents to cover up a doping offense that's the allegation investigators from the athletics integrity unit are now saying they are investigating this and if this is true you know they shouldn't return to the sport you know athletics they should not be coming back to it you know they have been doing everything they can to allegedly try and clean up that's what they've told WADA uh, who've been working with them the World Anti-Drugs Organization also the IAAF led by Lord Co uh, as well and all that really to me mounts to nothing if this is true and that is always the biggest question it doesn't surprise me that this has come out you know the you know these are the uh, the allegations against Russia, we know, state-sponsored doping. They drilled holes in the walls and swapped urine samples in a lab in Sochi in 2014. The Winter Olympics, as we've said on anything but footy before, uh, uh, totally tarnished that Winter Olympics because of what they did. And that McLaren report that subsequently followed that did say it was statewide-sponsored doping three Russian high jumpers who won London 2012 medals both the male and female gold medalists have both subsequently been banned for steroids you know if they take steroids it apparently reduces your body fat but they've been banned so nothing of this surprises me and I think that's the that's the 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 worrying thing about this and I it's difficult the IAAF obviously and WADA want to welcome Russia back at some point because you know This is a a country, a nation, a state that obviously is a huge um, athletics um, uh, history and they want to be part of it, but they just can't do it, it appears, without cheating. So are we going to miss them? Should they just continue to be banned? I would say the IAAF needs to stand firm on this and continue with this ban, particularly while this investigation from the AIU is going on. I will say that Rousseff denies any of this. They say there's been no cover-up. An athlete, uh, Lysenko, as you rightly said, won that silver uh, in 2017 in London, said false stories being spread about this case. Uh, He said missed drugs tests were just carelessness. I'll let you make your own mind up.
0: Well, actually, Lysenko has been banned since last August. And I was just having a, a troll through tr- Twitter, as you often do when you see stories like this. And Vicky Orvis, who was a, a legendary athletics reporter with the Sun newspaper. Sadly, uh, we lost Vicky, the athletics reporting fraternity, the sports reporting fraternity. Uh, lost Vicky after a very long cancer battle earlier on this year. She actually reported at the time, last August, Uh, that Lysenko was going to be banned. But only now has this attempted cover-up story come to light thanks to this uh, newspaper investigation by the the Sunday Times. It centres around a bogus clinic, which they're talking about, which turns out to be a demolition site in Moscow. Fake doctors, it's alleged fabricated paperwork to suggest that Lysenko was too ill to provide his location. And I agree with you. I think the IAAF need to remain firm here and I think the IOC need to be firm And firmer as well. That McLaren report that you mentioned, it talked about a four-year state-run doping programme across the vast majority of the 28 Olympic sports and Russian and before Russia Soviet athletes and the system have been cheating Olympians out of medals for generations this goes back years and years and years this goes back to before the Iron Curtain it's something that's happening now it's something that's happening today and the IOC if they want to keep the integrity of their event and we've both been to a couple of Olympic Games lots of people millions of people around the world have watched Olympic Games do they trust what they have seen? If the IOC are not firm here, they will not trust what they see next time around in Tokyo. And I, to just, go I,
1: even... I just don't think good. They'll, they'll do it, though, Michael. I mean, if you're not going to do it for four years of state-sponsored doping across all of those sports in that McLaren report, why are you going to do it in one Athletics Integrity Unit investigation? That, that's my, you know, I, you know, I want them to do it. I totally agree with what you're saying. I just can't see them doing it. And I
0: think the appetite to do it is not there often between the sports and the athletes. You know, I've sat in press conferences ahead of things like the anniversary games in London. Press conferences featuring people like Renaud Lavelleni Daphne Shippers, leading athletes, gold medal winners at World and Olympic Games. And you've got reporters, good reporters, like Rob Harris of the Associated Press, who we've mentioned on Anything But Footy before, asking these big names about drugs in their sport, and their body language and what they say suggests that they are not interested. I've stood there myself. I've put questions about drugs to Christina Horrigan. She just walked off. I put a question about drugs in the sport to Laura Waitman she rolled her eyes at me and told me i was a little bit naughty for doing it these i think these i think are genuine inquiries and i'm putting those questions to those athletes First and foremost, as a sports journalist and athletics journalist, but secondly, as a conduit of the athletics supporting public. And if we're going to pay our hard-earned cash and go and watch athletics at world European levels, if we want big crowds to go out into the British Championships at Birmingham, we need to believe what we're saying. And first and foremost, the athletes and the sports themselves need to wise up. They need to stand up. They need to accept there's a problem and they need to meet it head on. Mm
1: absolutely we're going to talk more about athletics uh, in this episode of anything but footy but we will talk anthony joshua and Johanna konta some contrasting emotions for those two uh, in performances uh, this week but those athletes that you mentioned some great performances in the diamond league meeting in stockholm uh, this week michael dina asher smith i mean i don't know how many more superlatives i can find apart from wow just wow and wow again i mean she delivered in doha we we talked about in episode 13 of Anything But Footy. It's called What Now for Athletics after Casta Semenya. And um, we'll talk about her in a moment. Uh, but asked if she could live up to the three European golds. I did that uh, in that episode and said, can she win? Can she maintain that form that she showed last summer? Well, another 200 metres, a brilliant 200 metres in Stockholm. She beat the Olympic champion, Elaine Thompson, the two-time world champion, Daphne Shippers, by at least three metres uh, it was absolutely superb and a new world leading time of 22.18 seconds, improving her previous world leading mark of 22.26. And, and last edition, I said that Katarina Johnson-Thompson was going to be a bigger gold medal hope in Doha than maybe Dina Asher-Smith and probably Laura Muir. But actually now, Michael, I think they might be equal. Dina Asher-Smith and KJT, I mean, w- you know, we are looking good, although we're a few months away.
0: Yeah, we are a few months away, and I think that would be the only the advisory, if you like, I'd put on this. Great time, world-leading time of 22.18, in very windy conditions in Stockholm. I had a few colleagues and, and friends that were out there, and the, and the weather conditions, not ideal uh, for athletics, not ideal for sprinting, certainly. But the question about Dina Asher-Smith, and actually when you look at her name on those electronic scoreboards that they have inside stadiums, D. Asher Smith. She's literally Dasher by name. Dasher <laughs> by nature. A Whoa, very, very, very good. good very good. A, a very, very good time for this time of year. But can she continue to progress that? She knows as well that the big, the hard yards are still ahead of her, ahead of Doha. It's quite late on for the world championships this year as well. She knows and she said after that race that she needs to stay in good shape. Has she peaked too soon? I hope not. I don't think she has. I think she's just coming into the the Diamond League season off the back of a fantastic winter. But don't write off Elaine Thompson, Daphne Shippers and others yet because there's still a lot of outdoor athletics to go before we get to that World Championships and, to all intents and purposes, before it really matters. Mm. We mentioned Laura Muir as well. 1,500 metres a time of 4 minutes, 5.39 seconds. She's clearly in some good form as well. And also a mention for Elish McColgan who came 7th in the 5,000 metres after finding out her house had been burgled. The burglars stole medals and jewellery. And I think when you look at her mindset when she's been told that information on that start line in Stockholm, 7th is a pretty reasonable performance when all is said and done and considered. And it's very much, isn't it, the the ladies of British athletics, the women of British athletics that are, are leading the way at the moment, they are very much the best medal hopes. If you look at... Potential medals outside of the relays in Doha—you're looking at Dina Asher-Smith, Laura Muir, Katarina Johnson-Thompson—struggling maybe to come up with with one of the men to mm. to to get at the top or or even on that podium as yeah. a as a solo individual athlete.
1: Quick word on on McColgan, as you say, and also Melissa Courtney, because some good news was they because they finished seventh and eighth in the five thousand meters, they both qualified for Doha. So that was a, a a bit of good news for McColgan, but absolutely no sleep. Bad preparation, obviously. We wish her all the best. And a quick word on Courtney: she won the Westminster Mile. I think you mentioned it on Anything but Footy uh, in the last episode, Michael, at uh, the other weekend, uh, beating Muir, uh, and she also knocked off 11 seconds from her personal best and a Welsh record. So that is a good performance from her uh, in Stockholm as well. Also catching our eye, I thought a uh, Carsten Warhol from Norway impressively won the men's 400 meter hurdles, and American Michael Norman the men's 400 meters as well. Maybe some other non. British names to watch out for in Doha but talking of what happened in Stockholm I don't know if you know this Michael but the Diamond League women's 800 meters for the first time since 2015 was not won by someone who does not have XY chromosomes and if you remember uh, in episode um, 12 of anything but footy uh, it's called what now for athletics after Casta Semenya decision we talk about chromosomes we talk about all of that Casta Semenya and Francine Neon Saba had won the last two, 22 races between them in the Diamond League. The new era under the IAAF's testosterone regulations is well and truly underway. It was Angie Wilson who won the women's 800 metres.
0: Casta Semenya has this week filed an appeal to Switzerland's Federal Supreme Court. That's in response to to what we were talking about on the What Now for Athletics episode of Anything But Footy. That was in response to losing her case restricting testosterone levels in female runners. Uh, The Court of Arbitration of Sport had rejected Semenya's challenge against the new IAAF ruling so she is taking it higher as I said then to Switzerland's Federal Supreme Court. She says I'm a woman and a world class athlete the IAAF will not drug me or stop me being who I am. The focus Of the appeal, of course, is all going to be around human rights. Currently, as you say there, DSD athletes, differences in sexual development athletes running in races between 400 metres and a mile must take medication to compete. And Casta Semenya said that she will not do it. Mm. Let's turn our attention on anything but footy to boxing now. And we all remember the wonderful scenes at the XL Centre in 2012, of course, when Anthony Joshua heavyweight champion of the world as he was known up until a few hours ago well he hung a gold medal around his neck at the olympics but he no longer holds the wba wbo and ibf world heavyweight crowns he lost them at madison square gardens to the mexican andy ruiz junior it was a remarkable fight wasn't it because joshua had ruiz on his backside ruiz floored joshua four times it was stopped in the seventh round and it's joshua's first defeat as a professional now this is how big a favorite anthony joshua was He was the 25-1 to on favourite, but he just looked tired, he looked uninterested, he looked unprepared, he didn't seem to have any kind of focus. He has vowed to return, but let's remember Ruiz, who sports a belly a bit like mine, was only given six weeks notice after Jarrell Miller, the original opponent, had to pull out. This is an iconic upset in the world of boxing, isn't it?
1: It is. I mean, I wrote down. I thought you, your your summary of what Ruiz looks like is probably better than mine. I wrote down uh, not a trim, lean, or athletic like Joshua. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he, he basically looks like he came in uh, from the weekend and said, "All right, I'll have a I'll have a fight uh, in uh, in Madison Square Gardens. I mean, he knocked him down four times, as you say, in seven rounds. I mean, that is a pasting in anyone's opinion, and it's such a shame for Anthony Joshua, as you say, to lose his. He, you know, he was fi- he was on the verge of becoming the undisputed world heavyweight boxing champion of the world he needed one more belt to do that and those discussions have been taking place uh, week in week out uh, who's going to fight when they're going to fight but boy oh boy have we had some shocks this year you know Spurs reaching a Champions League final and then not turning (laughs) up Tiger Woods winning again but this Leeds is Leeds why... not
0: getting promoted.
1: <laughs> exactly. Norwich winning the championship, goodness me. Isn't this That was this... a surprise. <laughs> it was. Is it and for fans as well. Isn't this why we li- we love sport? because it's so unpredictable, because this didn't get any coverage, hardly any coverage in the build-up, you know, this weekend, as we've been saying, we've got all this that we're talking about, uh, we're talking about the Diamond League, we're talking about the Russian Athletics, we're talking about Jana Conta and the French Open, the European Rowing Championships, all that, we had the Derby as well, uh, in horse racing, we've got the Cricket World Cup going on, this fight was a big fight it had hardly any coverage and that's mainly because everyone assumed that Joshua was going to go and win it now I think the big question as you rightly says is can he come back he wants to come back he will he didn't go to the press conference after apparently which I thought was a bit a bit unlike him Um, to to be fair but you know he said he's determined to get those belts back and he described this as a minor setback He's had a, a lot of support from fellow sportsmen and women on Twitter saying, you'll come back. It was just one of those things. Even Tyson Fury uh, said that these things happen in sport. It's time to go again. You've got to dust yourself down and do that. And I thought, actually, I'm not a massive fan of Tyson Fury, but I thought that was actually quite the, the right thing for him to do and the message for him in Joshua uh, to Joshua. A rematch in London by the end of the year. But, you know, you get a chance in sport, don't you, sometimes to make amends for things. I think yeah. maybe I think maybe this is his one chance to go, right, I'm going to learn from this and I'm never going to put myself in that position again.
0: And I just think maybe he took the foot off the gas in his preparation, wasn't focused, as I said correctly, thought because Ruiz, I mean, you only had to look at him and think, you know, he is no match for Anthony Joshua. And maybe Anthony Joshua, a bit like a Premier League team, if you like, you get drawn against a non-league side, in the FA Cup, maybe at the non-league side's ground, who think they just need to turn up to win it. Maybe Anthony Joshua had that kind of mindset. I'll tell you who's pretty happy this morning, probably. Uh, Promoter Eddie Hearn will be pretty happy because there will be so much interest in that rematch in London that you talk about that will potentially be happening later this year. The purse for that will be unbelievable. And you know that the people behind the fighters will be making a serious amount of dough off the back of that. And Ruiz will be pretty happy as well uh, because I'm sure after last night's fight and with this probable rematch, that just sets him up for life. I'm mindful of a couple of other names in boxing. Hazim Rahman, who was again an unlikely winner when beating Lennox Lewis in 2001. And I remember James Buster Douglas beating Mike Tyson back in 1990 when no one was expected ever to beat Mike Tyson. And I think we put Ruiz now... In that kind of category, he went there, Madison Square Garden. He did the job. He did the job on Anthony Joshua. He'll now get that opportunity for that probable rematch. And I, well, I know Anthony Joshua was a twenty-five to one-on favorite last night, but I would make Joshua the hot, hot favorite again in that rematch as well.
1: Good luck to him, mate. I mean, he just he needs to focus. I mean, that's that's the thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah,
0: and I think he just yes needs probably. Um, just to reset himself a little bit. And we've talked, haven't we, on previous episodes about athletes sometimes having to reset themselves. And I think this is probably just one of those moments in his career where he just needs to take stock of where he is, maybe the lifestyle he's living, the preparation he's making ahead of these big fights. I think if I want to be one of those real, real greats, if I want to be a legendary, legendary name where there's been plenty of legendary names in heavyweight boxing, then maybe just next time I need to do things slightly different. So from Madison Square Garden, an iconic sporting venue to the French Open and Paris and another iconic sporting venue of course Roland Garros and John I know you've been watching quite a lot of Jo Conter, who's made it into the quarterfinals of the French Open she beat the 23rd seed Donna Vekic 6 the British number one and she's now aiming to become the first Britain to reach the semi finals since Jo Jury did it in 1983
1: I'm going to say that I didn't realise Jo Jury was that good <laughs> can I can I be can I be really honest? Because uh, you know, I, 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 yes, I have watched a lot of tennis this week, and Conta was the first British woman to reach the fourth round since 1983. She's now into her first ever quarterfinal at Roland Garros, as you say. Uh, up there, really, with the likes. As you said, Jo Jury. I, I just didn't realise that she was that good at a tennis player. So I apologise to Joe Jury for that. Wimbledon
0: um, champion, Joe uh, Jury, in, in mixed doubles, wasn't uh, she?
1: I remember that. I do remember that. <laughs> but I just didn't rem- didn't know that she had that career. And obviously, Sue uh, progressed yep. in the French Open as well and all that. So, look, I'm, I'm just going to hold my hands up they, and say, what a fantastic performance. But, boy, have we waited a long time to have a British woman in the quarterfinals of the, uh, as you say, Roland Garros because she has been brilliant Johanna Konta and you mentioned Auntie joshua you know, maybe resetting and changing his focus, we've discussed it a few times on Anything But Footy about Konta changing her coach last year, totally going, right This season, this is what I'm going to do, and this is how I'm going to change. And she's beginning to deliver. And Martina Navratilova has said, you know, that Conta is beginning to mix it up a little bit. She was quite predictable in the way that she played tennis. And Navratilova, one of the greatest ever, obviously, saying that you know Conta has learnt from that since the change of coach, and she's mixing it up and she's doing that. And actually, the two of the points that gave her victory today, as you rightly say, uh, in hour and twenty minutes, twenty-four minutes against Donna Vekic. Were two drop shots. One to win a game uh, and break the serve, and one the next to, to, to where she was trying to hold and serve for the for the match. So she's beginning to mix it up. She was full of smiles, Michael, from beginning to end. Absolutely loved playing on the big courts in Paris, and it really was one of the hottest days of the uh, Roland Garros so far. Really, really warm, and she was out early at uh, at eleven o'clock in the morning at UK time. And you just think with Serena Williams out. Pliskova out, Wimbledon champion Angelique Kerber out, world number one Naomi Osaka saying, you know, she's won the last two Grand Slams, don't forget, uh, the US Open and the Australian, are they coming to get you, Michael? Um, (laughs) Um, uh, Osaka's won the last two Grand Slams, the US Open and the Australian Open, she's out as well, admitting the number one uh, mentally was too tough for her, there's a real chance for Joanna Konta here. Obviously, she's got some tough opponents to come, but you're in the last eight, and, and what a performance it was from her. And I tell you what has been a joy as well, um, watching it, is watching it on free-to-air television, uh, which is great. It's on ITV4. Uh, I know Eurosport are covering it as well, but it's refreshing coverage. It's just what I want from tennis. Um, you know, uh, just really clear commentary, it's a different mix of commentators, not smug, if you know what I mean if you ever watch <laughs> Wimbledon.
0: Um I and, do know what you mean.
1: And and they just do the analysis. At the end of the day, you tune in at eight or eight thirty at night, you see the last bit of live play, then there's considered analysis between John Inverdale and an expert. It could be Jim Courier, it could be Mark Petchy, it could be Annabelle Cross, Sam Smith, it could be anyone. No no gimmicks. Just what was good what was bad and who's going to win. And look, ITV there, ITV4 have said, basically, they're there for the tennis and nothing else. And what I get so frustrated about with Wimbledon is the BBC are trying too hard to appeal to the non-tennis fan and then, frankly, they annoy both tennis fans and the non-tennis fans of Wimbledon, and they're in a no-win situation. And why on earth ever John Inverdale was dropped from Wimbledon as he was, I will never know. It's been a joy watching that French Open, and I hope Johanna Konta uh, goes on and does what she did at Wimbledon a couple of years ago and reaches at least the semi-finals, and let's hope for even more.
0: Yeah, well, Johanna Conter has been on an upward trajectory this year. She's done really well for Great Britain in the Federation Cup. Uh, she's reached finals on clay in Morocco and Rome. Never won a main draw match at Roland Garros before, but going great guns in Paris. And I echo your sentiments about John Inverdale, who's stepped down from BBC Radio this year as well after expertly anchoring Cheltenham, I think for around about quarter of a century, his last Cheltenham Festival uh, in the horse racing this year as well. Uh, he's not been involved in the golf coverage. I wonder whether he'll turn up or probably not for the Open Golf, which I always think he's excellent at as well. Uh, yeah, I echo your your, your sentiments, your comments about John Inverdale, a broadcaster who I've already, always uh, really rated. Just one thing about Johanna Konta, though. As, as good <laughs> as the, she is, do you think she will ever come around to liking me again? Um, the Never. Reason I, <laughs> Never in a million the, years. The, the reason I, I mention this is um, we interviewed her. I think both of us separately interviewed her ahead of the, the Olympics in Rio. And she was world ranked 13th at the time and seeded 10th. And I said to her in an interview question, I went, Johanna, you're you're, you're seeded in the top 15. She went, no, I'm seeded in the top 10. I said, apologies. I mean, uh, you're world ranked in the top 15, aren't you? She went, no, I'm world ranked in the top thirty And the interview kind of went downhill from that moment on, really. Um, I do say, though, it's karma because four years before that, I was in the early hours of the morning at Team GB house where... Uh, Laura Robson and Andy Murray were, were brought in for some interviews with with some non-rights holders um, and some newspapers and people like that after he won, of course, his gold medal in the uh, individual and he, he won a medal, of course, with Laura Ro- Robson in the mixed doubles as well. And the reporter who interviewed Andy Murray just before me congratulated him on his silver and his bronze. And Andy's picture at the time was an absolute picture. And he went, no, a gold and a silver and I thought to myself as I giggled internally, well, I'm glad that never happened to me. And four years later, something very similar, of course, happened to me with Joanna Conta in Rio. Uh, anyway, that's just a, a little, a <laughs> little a great- aside on...
1: It's a great it's a great story, and I tell you what, <laughs> when we when we the interview her again we'll remind her of that, and hopefully, as I say, she might she might be a champion. Just a very quick word on the French Open, because as you can tell, I'm a bit of a fan. Um, obviously the men's draw, you've still got Nadal, you've still got Federer, you've still got Djokovic, they're all cruising through. But watch out for Stan Avrinka. He beat sipsipas of Greece today, five hours, eight minutes. He's a former champion, of course. He won the final set, eight six. He now faces fellow Swiss star Federer in the quarterfinals. That will be one to watch um, and he could just cause a bit of an upset at the French Open this year.
0: And Johanna, if you're listening, and we'll probably tweet you into this so you may well... Uh, Download it and give us a listen. Come on a future podcast and I promise I'll do my homework better um, (laughs) next time. In the rest of the world of Olympic and Paralympic sport this week, in the world of sailing, uh, British sailing have named 17 athletes for the Tokyo 2020 test event. The team is headlined, if you like, by Rio gold medalist
1: Giles Scott and Hannah Mills. Staying on the water and a big 12 month for British rowing as we've been talking about. Ten finalists reached the European Championships in Lucerne. One gold, two silvers, one bronze is what they came away with. The headlines, the men's four won gold ahead of Poland and Germany by two seconds. Uh, Pete Reed, Andy Triggs-Hodge, Tom James and Alex Gregory. No, they're not the team. They still hold the fastest time ever set in Lucerne in 2012, if anyone's interested. But well done to Sholto Carnegie, Rory Gibbs, Matt Rossiter and Ollie Cook. They are the men's European champions in rowing. Great news for them. Uh, And then a couple of silvers shows the strength in depth, according to Brendan. And Purcell, the British rowing director of performance. Uh, the women's eight, including Rio silver medalist Zoe Lee and Karen Bennett, grabbed silver. And the men, including Olympic champion Mo Sabihi, in the final event of the weekend just lost out to Germany by a second um, to uh, finish second. And the men's quad skulls also grabbed bronze as well. So, fifth in the medals table behind Germany, Netherlands, Italy, and Romania. And it's on to the World Rowing Championships at the end of August.
0: A big year to come for the British rowing team to see if they can reach the heady heights of British rowers past at Olympic level. Staying on the water, to borrow John's segue, canoeing. Liam Heath has won gold at the Canoe Sprint World Cup event in Germany, making it back-to-back World Cup wins. And the World Canoeing Championships are approaching. Meanwhile, John Schofield raced in British colours for the final time. Uh, Schofield and Heath won bronze together. You might recall at London 2012. Meanwhile, Mallory Franklin, the European C1 canoe slalom champion, now the slalo- slalom canoe events, the slalo- the uh, slalom <laughs> canoe events, the World Cup events coming to London, of course, at the Lee Valley, which hosted in 2012, is here in
1: London next month. We all know swimming, cycling, running is triathlon. Ali Brownlee is back with his fourth Triathlon European Championship gold in Vert. The two-time Olympic champion from London and Rio powered to victory with his trademark break in the final running section in Holland. He completed a British double with Beth Potter triumphing in the women's event.
0: We're looking forward to following the Lionesses, of course, in the World Cup in France. England and Scotland, of course, have both qualified. The Lionesses, though, took a bit of a bump on the nose by losing their final warm-up game, 1-0 to New Zealand in Brighton. Fantastic crowd for that match, of course, for that final warm-up game. The World Cup starts in Paris on
1: Friday. Yeah, Phil Neville says he's not worried. I'll point you back to my comments in Europe, Euphoria, and equality episode last week and let you decide which one applies. On to hockey, doesn't look like British women will reach the final stages of the FIH Pro League the first year this international event has been run Olympic champions Great Britain lost to the world champions and who they beat in 2016 Holland 2-0 in Eindhoven Uh, they also lost 4-1 in Antwerp to Belgium this week and British men though are up to third after a brilliant win against the Dutch three goals to one Will Calnan, Sam Ward and Chris Griffiths scoring for Danny Kerry's side he was in charge of the women in Rio of course Uh, they both face Germany next at the Lee Valley Hockey Centre on the Olympic Park
0: in rugby sevens congratulations to James Rodwell who reached 100 tries in what is his last ever England appearance they lost in the semi-finals of the Paris sevens to Canada Fiji won the tournament
1: and the olympic flame will be taking all over japan inside 121 days culminating in the olympic games next summer it will start in fukushima where an earthquake and tsunami in 2011 culminated in a nuclear incident at a power plant you remember 10,000 torchbearers including men women and children of a wide range of nationalities and ages will take part say organizers it reminds me of the brilliant olympic torch here in london uh, to those 2012 games we haven't got time to uh, reminisce about that but maybe in future podcasts michael
0: and with that news, we will extinguish another episode of Anything But Footy. And don't forget to get in touch with us during the course of the week, of course. Your emails, we read them all, anything but footy at gmail.com. We love to retweet you as well and interact with you on Twitter, anything but F. You can find us there. We're also on Facebook, Insta, and YouTube.
1: Sports Social Podcast Network.